The harsh Georgian winter is cold. The bald moves lineup is high. The Americans, justified, better call Saul, The Walking Dead, and Downton Abbey featuring Tom and Kelly. Lava Hot Podcast pouring into your ear holes like molten tungsten. Podcast so insanely hot, they'll melt your face off. Oh, God. Aaron's stuck in announcer mode again. Please help me. I can't stop. That sounds really painful. My heart is a cherry bomb, and my vocal cords are being shredded like so much frosted weed. I'll go get the Xanax and alpaca tranquilizers. Visit baldmove.com and click on podcast for a complete lineup. I'm Aaron. I am in danger. The listener ears are the listeners' ears are in danger. They are. They're in supreme danger. Uh that's my best sex robot. Given it's screen screen accurate. It it really is. I mean it's it's a rubber band. It's not, not a scrunchy. I think you might have better results if you actually use a scrunchie. Uh you're right. A little more vibration. Yeah, a little had bit. To, had to talk pretty loud there. A little looser and goosier, I think. That's all right. I think it had its effect. Uh, we're <laughs> making everyone shut off their podcast. Yes. Yes. Uh, we're talking about season one, episode three called Nacho. It's Nacho episode, man. Uh, no, this kind of was my episode. Oh, uh, finally. Yeah. God, I'm so tired. Of it d- was my email box being besieged. <laughs> it would have been tough to, to make me not like an episode as much as last episode. I know what I kind of got a taste of what it's like to be you most of the time. Like people, you know, sending in hate emails, hate emails yeah. and like, you mm-hmm. know, it's just getting all personal in here and it's not my <laughs> fault and who the fuck does this guy think he is it's like yeah you get your share of hate emails i know I that do. i'm, I'm usually them. the one that gets it in public places too sometimes like itunes there have been some <laughs> bad reviews on itunes uh, yeah i get roasted i get yeah. roasted on itunes comes with the territory you know i'm a polarizing you put, figure you put 14 hours of content out there a week and someone's gonna take it 13 hours people hate it's just the, it's the one hour it's the sure. one golden hour that i that i <laughs> that i'm waiting for when the lighting's just right, uh, the mood is fancy. All right, so I'm going to save most of my comments for the actual recap area. Do you want to talk about who did this podcast or who did this show? Uh, yeah, um, it was directed by Terry McDonough, McDonough, who Shane Bowman put on our forum said, "Fun fact: Terry McDonough directed three episodes of Breaking Bad. McDonough's second Breaking Bad episode was episode 208, Better Call Saul. Nice." And recently he's been directing episodes for Sci-Fi's new show, Expanse, which I'm excited about because I've heard good things about the series it's based on. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy, my dad, my adoptive father, Chad Coleman, is in a starring role as a, uh, a captain on that show. So it yeah. looks pretty good. It's got uh, you know some, some reasonably accomplished directors working on it. I know sci-fi has more been more Sharknado than Battlestar of late, but that was the thing. Like I heard him talk about this on Talking Dead, and he said sci-fi. I was like, "Well, no, not for yeah, me." Yeah, because you hear not Chad Coleman going from Walking Dead to sci-fi, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, the Wire to the Z- Walking Z-Nation, Dead." Z Nation is that what we're going to, Chad? Yeah, I hope he's not on the slow decline or the the quick decline here. I don't think so. I mean, he was. 
he was really high on it. He did a Reddit AMA as well, and he uh-huh. was saying a lot of really positive things. And people were chiming in with what they know of that character from their book lore because mm-hmm. it's you know recent popular science fiction series. So I'm I'm, I'm excited. I'm definitely going to give it a shot when it comes out. Yeah, I would give it a shot just because you know Chad Coleman's talking it up, and I like him, and I like the people who uh, some of the people who are making it. I'm just not sold on sci-fi. Uh, it was as a channel written by Thomas Schnauz, which is uh, or maybe Schnauz. I think it's Schnauz. Schnauz. Yeah, Schnauz is like <laughs> tastes like Schnauz. And even if it is Schnauz, he's not going to tell you to pronounce it that way. <laughs> yeah, right. He's going to say Schnauz. It's like uh, my last name rhymes with jerk off, but I'd never suggest people <laughs> say it that way. Or if if my first name was Dickface, <laughs> I would tell people to call me Dickface or something. Richard, Richard Fasse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please. Uh, he wrote this one episode of Better Call Saul, but he's also one of the executive producers on the show. Mm-hmm. He also wrote seven episodes of Breaking Bad um, and worked on other episodes such as X-Files and The Lone Gunman. He's in the Villa right. Gang is he what is. I'm getting I, at. I think so, yeah. He's all up in that Villa Gang. Yep, firmly in the Villa Gang. Uh, what else do you have? Anything, or should we get into the recap? My God, what else do you want? Let's talk about this episode. Nothing. Okay, we start off with Chuck visiting Jimmy in prison. And Jimmy's in trouble. Big trouble. He's in some kind of trouble. We don't know what it is here necessarily. We have some good guesses based on the Jimmy, the slipping Jimmy theories and the slipping Jimmy stories from previous episodes. I don't know, man. It involves property damages, assault, and a possible sex offender status. Yeah, something called the Chicago sunroof. What do you think the Chicago sunroof is? I don't know. My first thing is I checked on Urban Dictionary and I okay. saw that it was uh, essentially uh, play. It's, it's it's kind of a modified tea bag. Um, it's it's putting your testicles on someone's forehead. I'm like, okay, well, there's your assault. There's your sexual offender. Sure, sure. sure. But then I noticed that it was created uh, G- uh, February 16th. Ah. Um, by somebody going by the name of Beaner or something or other. So I'm like, okay, here's a Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fan who's just cashing in. Yeah. Um, I saw some disturbing, I guess this, uh, a sunroof is slang for roofing someone's drink. Oh, no. Which I am not down with at all. If no. that's something Jimmy did, that is not cool. That is, like, reprehensible. What if you roofied it's... his own drink? Roofies his drink, stubbles out into the the chicago streets right and ends up hit by a car i'm just saying there it's it's going to be hard to root for some sort of rapist if that's what the connotation i don't think so i don't think vince would get down on that either sure i think what they did is they tried to come up with something that was flavorful for the local area because we know that he's in a cicero uh you know suburb area Mm -hmm. and they threw in something that just probably sounded funny sure I, i think to me, it sounds like uh, maybe you're, it's a modified way to moon someone. <laughs> All right. Uh, or a sunroof sticking your ass out through the sunroof. Or maybe or... it's like taking a dump in someone's car through a sunroof, mm-hmm. a Chicago, Chicago style sunroof. I, I could see that, yeah. That's a deep dish dump that you're putting through a, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a yeah. car roof. But no, I would love to hear other people's speculations. Not many people took the maybe. bait. Maybe. The the deep dish thing gives me an idea. Maybe it's throwing a pizza through someone's sunroof. Oh, that would be a good Breaking Bad reference. Oh, and yeah. you get the Chicago deep dish. Could be could be that reference. season two. We're going to see him nail a perfect Chicago <laughs> sunroof. Yep, I think so. Uh, can I just say that Slippin' Jimmy has the worst hair of all of his identities? Like he's got the most hair. He's got so that. You're right. You're right. He does. But I mean, even like. 
post Saul Goodman. Sure. Uh, I forget the, the alias he was going by there. That's still not as bad as Slippin' Jimmy. Yeah. Slippin' Jimmy has full-on mullet going. Right. Yeah. Mm. It's bad news. No, it's too bad. I mean, like, uh, you know, young guy here, full head of hair, and he's just squandering it on a mini mullet. Yeah, when do you think that scene takes place? I think I was watching an interview with Vince Gilligan, and he said it was 92. Okay, so then that would be, because I was going to say a decade, and that's almost exactly 10 years, because he held up that check that said 2002. So yeah, Yeah. um, I buy that, sure. Okay. So you think Jimmy is in his late 20s there? I mean, how old do we think Saul is Hmm. in real life? It's a good question. So Breaking Bad is like 2009-ish. And I would guess he might be around 40 there. I mean, Bob's 52 right now. Hmm. And yeah. I was going to say that Bob, that, that Saul's in his mid-40s in, break, in, in Breaking Bad. Okay. So then he'd be in his late 30s. 17 better years call earlier. Saul, and at 10 years, yeah, yeah, he'd be in his late 20s. So that, that seems consistent. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and the, the hair does a lot to make him look uh, younger than he actually is. So Sure. As much as you can, like I said, Bob Odenkirk's 50. There's not much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the one that's really funny is uh, Jonathan Banks. Oh, yeah. They don't yeah. do shit. I they mean, don't. I feel like they that really guy don't. like hit his 20s looking like an old troll, <laughs> and he just stayed there. Uh-huh. He's like the anti-Dick uh, Clark. Sure. I could buy that. Uh, I I like this scene because... Jimmy realizes that he has been a lousy brother. Like uh, Chuck is saying, look, we haven't spoken in five years. You couldn't even call me yourself. Uh, I wonder how much of this feeling of guilt and this event right here of his brother helping him out causes Jimmy to help his brother Chuck out when he goes a little crazy. And why he's got this clearly conflicted moral compass, but he's trying to do right. He's trying to make yeah. his brother proud. And I liked how they did this evolution through the scene where he does the, uh, you know, frequently ne'er-do-well come correct, mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm saying all these things because this is the combination of words I need to say to yeah. get you to do the thing I want you to do. And then uh, Chuck hears that, and he's like, okay, fuck it. I'm out of here. And then... That's when Jimmy hits rock bottom, and he he swears he's going to do right. Yeah, he knows if he doesn't come clean there, he doesn't get another chance. Yeah, yeah, and he says, uh, "You can't make a fool out of me. Everything you're involved with now, everything you're doing, it's all over. Mm-hmm. No more slipping, Jimmy. Yep. We might have just seen the death of slipping Jimmy there. Mm. Anyway, sometime at night, uh, so modern day Jimmy. Yeah, that's um. One of the things I think is I'm starting to be interested in is like coming up with the overall arc of this show. Mm-hmm. And we see a guy here who is a loser uh, with delusions of grandeur, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And he's in this compromising situation. But how does a, I, I frequently wondered in this episode because he says I'm no hero, but he does some things that and, and in the last episode too, arguably he puts himself in harm's way to do the right thing. Sure. How do we get from this guy to a guy who casually mentions murder as a way to solve life's problems in Breaking Bad? Yeah, that's that is a really good question. I think you know that's one of the main things that the show's going to explore. It's not chips to Scarface, but it is. I mean, Saul is a lot more remote, detached, inhuman character in Breaking Bad than he is in this show, and yeah. No, that's one of the questions I have in my notes. Breaking uh, Breaking Bad was kind of asking the question, everyone was saying, when does Walt go full Heisenberg? 
now it's when does Jimmy go full Saul? You know, how does how does the guy who has the conscience become Saul Goodman? Right. And I think that's an interesting journey, and that's one that I'm eager to find out about. And and now it's kind of asking the question with Mike too. I thought Seppenwall had a really penetratingly insightful mm-hmm. review, as he frequently does, where he said this is kind of like a parallel story. You've got these people that have fallen from grace and are desperate for second chances in Albuquerque. You know, Mike as a cop, uh, J- Jimmy as this lawyer, uh, and then how do they get to their arcs that they are in, break- in Breaking Bad? Because, you know, that's one thing. It's like Mike is an ex-cop. He clearly had, you know, a somewhat flexible moral code because of the trouble he got himself into, which we don't exactly know what was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hank said in the episode where they brought him in that his career ended, like I think he said spectacularly or explosively. But yeah. still, how do you get a guy who seems like a good cop and a good guy to work for S- Gus? What bill of goods did he get sold where he found himself in that situation? Sure, that's a good question. I don't know. Anyway, sometime at night, Jimmy has a uh, modern day Jimmy, 2002 Jimmy, uh, has the run of the salon. It's it's closing time and he's just going everywhere. He's drinking cucumber water, gulping down cucumber water. Yep. Like, uh, how long does cucumber water last? Uh, I, I imagine probably as long as regular water. I don't know. No, but it's got the cucumber. Doesn't that start to rot and dissolve? And I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's pretty I'm not, pulpy. I'm not an expert on cucumber water. Sorry. Okay. Uh, he he looks at the matchbox, but then he makes a phone call, and it is not to Nacho. Uh, it is to Kim, and he wants to kind of flirt a little bit, but also find out details about the Kettleman account. Uh, and he kind of puts some ideas of danger in her head, I think accidentally here. I don't, uh, I don't think he's necessarily set out to do this, but he wants to get something off of his chest, and so he makes a mistake. That's one interpretation. I was trying to figure out, and the multiple times I watched this, how much of this is him trying to feel out information he can give to Nacho mm-hmm. and then thinking better because he's asking like where do you think they got the money stashed and all this other stuff yeah, and yeah. how much money did they have which are things Nacho wanted him to get and then he started feeling bad and started and then and then you know started laying the tracks for it to be a warning and then ultimately calling the people so I I took my take on this conversation is it's his good sad bad side kind of warring with each other yeah, definitely. I think that makes a lot of sense after coming uh, off the meeting with Nacho in his office. Do you th- were you shocked that it seems likely after watching this episode that Kim and Jimmy had some sort of real life relationship? Uh, no. I mean, I think they've hinted at that before. We're going to find out more about it. I'm certain. But I was talking last episode, like Big Brother, Little Sister. It's not big brother little sister no it's sex robot voice so it's sex robot it's talking voice. dirty <laughs> that's yeah there's definitely some kind of sexual thing between them but that's amazing jimmy being who he is and she so yeah i i, I was watching an interview and someone i forget who mentioned that this is you know kim i i think it was the the woman who plays kim was mentioning that she her character is entertained by saul he is Sense of humor uh, goes a long way. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's got a sense of humor. He's witty. He's uh, kind of a curiosity to her, and so that's kind of drawn her to him a little bit. Uh, probably in the past, not so much now. I mean, there, there's a little bit of that still lingering, but you can tell that it most of their relationship is in the past. I also feel like 
Jimmy landed at Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill for some extended stint. It's possible. Before yeah. he did something that blew up in his face and he had to leave because everyone yeah. there knows him. Of course, I guess they would even if he was just, you know, the senior partner's dumbass brother. Could be. Who's trying to be a lawyer now. But. Or, I mean, if he's the. There's like, some some way they got intimate that didn't involve him just approaching her at a bar and being like, hey, you know, people say that I look like Kevin Costner. Like, Sure, yeah. She's a little higher class than I would suspect. I wonder if this Slip and Jimmy stuff at the very beginning has anything to do with that, with why they know him. Maybe with Chuck defending him, it becomes a big deal or something. Yeah. Uh, and this is potentially pretty early on in the Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill. I want to talk about something here that's divorced from feedback because I've screwed. I don't know what happened. I just know that um, in sometime in the last two nights, I read a really awesome theory. I thought it was from our email, and then I thought it might have been from our forums, and then I thought I might have read it on Reddit, and I was desperately spending the last you know, hour or so here trying to source it down. I could not. So if I'm stealing your idea, <laughs> please write in, and I will give you full credit next week. If okay. you're some dude on Reddit, then, well, too fucking bad. <laughs> but um, someone said they had this really interesting theory that... Jimmy needed defending in Chicago and Charles went out to defend him, but he somehow, because it was out of his jurisdiction and it was embarrassing circumstances, he defended him under some kind of pseudo name, which I don't even know is possible legally. It would be very difficult at the best. Um, And he defended him under the Saul Goodman. Then years later, when Chuck presumably dies or is disgraced or put in a mental hospital, Jimmy takes that identity, resurrects it, gives it some legal credence with, you know, because we saw in, in Breaking Bad, he had the, you know, really dubious colleges like the legal sure, school American of the American Samoa, Samoa yeah. and all that stuff that's probably like I, I don't know if it's real. Yeah, probably like mail order or Internet something i thought it's interesting that somehow uh he's taken on the persona of his of his brother in in death or disgrace uh as saul goodman and and you know because also saul goodman as low rent as he is he seems highly successful Uh, his office is always full of clients he's he's all he's on all the billboards all the television definitely saul goodman is successful uh i like, I don't see any evidence supporting this theory. I think it's just speculation. Yeah. It's just, like, connecting dots that may or may not be connected, and there's no supporting evidence for it. So it's interesting, but I, yeah, until we see some evidence to support it. All right. Well, we didn't see Chuck in the rest really... of the episodes. So I wanted to kind of get that out there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jimmy tries to sleep, but he gets up suddenly to construct some kind of contraption. We don't know what it is. <laughs> And he drives out to the desert. He uses this thing to call the Kettlemans, who can't understand a word of it. Uh, <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, he gets uh, tired of that, and he just comes out and says it in his regular voice. They're in danger. They see someone outside their window, uh, who we presume is Nacho, who we know is Nacho. Yeah. Um, you couldn't really tell from... I couldn't really tell from the video, though. Between, kinda, between the yeah. darkness to profile. And by the mm-hmm. way, these night scenes were shot and lit beautifully. Like, I guarantee they uh-huh. used more light than what was ambient, but they did it in such a way that was super convincing that yeah. a single nightlight was high, was lighting the scene or a neon sign in an aquarium or just everything uh-huh. looked just amazing. 
Yeah, no, they're really good at that. Uh, and I also love this, this episode was very, very dark, though. Almost sure. all around. Sure. Even the bright sunshine. Like, uh, I think of the scene of uh, Jimmy outside that payphone in front of the big, I believe, yellow or orange building where he's called Nacho yeah. way too many times. Uh-huh. They shot that to where the building was looming over and the whole thing was, it's bright, broad daylight, but it's in shadow. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of kind of a contrast from how bright the last few episodes have been. Yeah, definitely. Also, I love the fact that they subverted the classic like Breaking Bad construction montage, mm-hmm. like you know Walt assembling a bomb or Walt building a uh, a battery device or something. Because you see Jimmy, he's like you know doing this thing <laughs> with the paper and he's assembling these tools and then he's essentially building this low rent kazoo. Yeah, it's complete for, bullshit. I and then it doesn't it. end up working. I loved and, it, yeah. man. It cracked me up. Cracked me up. Yeah, it's great. Uh, there, there's also they're establishing here, you know, that the Jimmy can't let it be. He's got too much of a conscience and he's kind of at odds with that. Yeah. Um. Th- th- it's a very natural progression through the episode where we start to understand more and more about that. Totes. Uh, really liked the way that they unfolded that. Then we go to Jimmy negotiating with uh, Petty with a Pryor, as I'm going to call him. Yep. I know he's not one. But... Tom Petty. Yes. Tom Petty with a Richard Pryor. With uh, the ass breakers, apparently. Can't keep can't keep his clients straight, either. He's He's got a bunch of clients, I guess, and he thinks one is a murderer. Um. Whereas Jimmy's just trying to get the guy off for something else. He uh, salted assault a guy with a bottle, with a of, Kahlua. bottle of Kahlua. <laughs> who hasn't been there? Sure. Who has? Sure. Who, who, that, you know, throw the first stone if, yep. if you haven't ever assaulted someone with a Kahlua bottle. Didn't look up the name Desmond Rojas, but uh, I wish I had because mm. maybe there's some interesting stuff there with a bottle of Kahlua. Uh, so he gets a deal that he's looking for after he kind of asserts himself a little bit. Uh, then he gets a call from Kim, who's asking what he meant the previous night about the the danger, and that kind of alerts him, and he rushes out. He goes to the parking lot. He tries to get out without paying. Uh, Mike is, you know, his typical self, stubborn mm-hmm. self, not letting him out, and then Jimmy lets himself out mm-hmm. when Mike's not looking. Uh, causes all sorts of problems later in the episode. <laughs> Mike does not like that. Mike, no. Mike sets his lips in that way that you know and narrows his eyes. This is far from over, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Far from over. <laughs> uh, then Jimmy gets to the Kettleman house, and there are cops everywhere. Uh, Jimmy tells him, uh, or sorry, the lawyers tell Jimmy that the Kettlemans have disappeared. Kim asks if he knew something about this, and Jimmy says, no, no, I don't know anything about it. Um, he tries at some point to get Kim to help him out. I, I think it's... It might be a few scenes from now. No, it's a, he's trying to get... Um... I think. Oh no! Yeah, you're right. It's, it's it's when he finds out that he the Kettleman's abducted themselves. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll save my comments till then. Windy day on set. Super windy. Like I couldn't believe the movement they're getting out of those trees and mm-hmm. the uh, the toupee clinging tightly to Bob's head. <laughs> it was it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, Jimmy drives to a payphone after seeing this, and he calls Nacho several times to try to negotiate with him and get the kids back. I think. And this is kind of a little glimpse into his morality because she's saying yeah. in a very guilt-inducing voice, if you knew something, you'd tell us, right, Jimmy? Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, well, we know he... I mean, at this point, he suspects that Nacho has these people. Yeah. But um, instead of cooperating, he's trying to still work the I'll be the best lawyer you can get angle. I, it's it's kind of that. Like, I I don't know if he... He doesn't really want to help Nacho here. What's What he wants to do is get the kids back, get the... 
because they're innocents in this, you know. Oh, he also wants to represent Nacho. I think you're crazy uh, if you don't think he's wanting. I think what he's doing here is trying to solve this problem of the kids being gone. I don't know. I don't know that he wants to represent Nacho. What I think is going through his head is, I just talked Tuco down from killing these guys. I'm going to sure. do the exact same thing with Nacho sure. here and get these kids back. Okay. Uh, I I think Jimmy wants nothing to do with this guy, man. Really? Because yeah, he's... I think Jimmy is he's in over his head to the point where he has to call the guy. He has to get these kids back. But when the conscience. guy finally calls him in, he's like, "Hey, I'll be your lawyer," and I'll you know. I mean, he's not offering him a great deal, but part of that could be the reality that there's not a good deal to be had. That's like, the thing. What best, choice does he have? Your best deal is. I think there's a big difference between saying Jimmy wants to be this guy's lawyer, which he clearly didn't. He clearly just wanted out of that desert last episode uh, versus Jimmy is trying is stuck in a position where he has to be this guy's lawyer. I think it's a little okay. I mean, yeah, I'm not suggesting that he's purely mercantile wanting to get this guy's business. He clearly feels guilty about the family as well. But if he just wanted the family back, he could just give up Nacho. Tell him everything he knows about him, the phone number, you know. But then Nacho's going to kill him. Like, he's he's in a rock and a hard place here, right? Yeah, he yeah. rats on the guy. The guy... Gonna, I don't think that he going to do something well, bad to Yeah, him. you're right, because he, he was afraid of Nacho just from the sidewalk, you know, when the guys approached him. He thought that was Nacho coming to get him. Yeah. And he was... He lost his damn mind leaving all those messages. <laughs> sure. Like, that was... Yeah. Uh, pretty funny the increasingly desperate more like he started off very like i'm the party you spoke to yesterday i just want mm-hmm. to help you de uh, escalate your situation call me soon mm-hmm. you know calls him back just clarify i don't know anything there's no rats on this ship like it's he devolves in like 1930s gangster speak by the end of it and yeah yeah <laughs> i i thought it was really funny and also shot again shot really well too the across the street he's very small his little pathetic car Hanging mm-hmm. in the shadow of that building, uh, told us exactly kind of how he feels in the situation. Yeah, and when the when the people come up, you know, from the, the front and the back here and try to pin him in, I was thinking it was Nacho, but I was thinking it was a misunderstanding where Nacho was coming to meet him at that payphone, and well, that and, and Saul was running for no reason. I kind of thought so too. That. Yeah. Um, it was one of Notch's associates, and they were like, "There, it's like, hey, we don't talk over payphones or whatever." But yeah, and then he was going to run, and that was going to cause Mister. I had no idea it was going to be the cops. Sure, me either. Uh, but it is the cops. They catch him and they drag him to the police station where Notch is being held. And he asked uh, Nacho if the family and kids are okay. Nacho says, "Look, man, I had nothing to do with this." Um, he thinks Jimmy sold him out, and he threatens to kill him unless he's released today. Unless Jimmy can get him out. How did the cops know to find him there? Were they listening to... I don't know. They that, ha- that's a fair question. I guess that's... I've, we have um, a lawyer who's volunteered to give us some inside information, um, Doug L. Um, he's a professional lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume he's got a degree better than from the America Samoas. Um, and one thing I'd like to ask him is like, is this common procedure? Like if a client engaged you as a lawyer and you didn't answer your phone, would some sort of bailiff or marshal or police officer come to try to find, track you down and find you for legal representation? Or it seems more likely they just let him sit in jail. Now I know what complicates this situation is there is a ticking, potentially ticking time bomb situation that those kids 
are buried out in the desert mm-hmm. or somewhere that don't doesn't have food or water. They're held up that they could die. So there's a little bit more urgency. But I wonder just the mechanics of how they put two and two together. Were, so were they I listening guess... to Nacho's phone? Were they able to get into his voicemail without a warrant? Did that happen a little too fast? Yeah, may, I mean, maybe they didn't even get into his voicemail. I, they, it felt like it might have been rushed a little bit, which, whatever. Um, I, I feel like maybe they traced the call because because he gets a call back. Yes. he answers. Nobody talks. That could have been them tracing down the number. But then immediately people converged on that. So it's like I, know, I don't think they that traced was the on that phone call. I, I, yeah, I think that was more. Um, th- they. They had already traced it to that phone. And they were verifying Yeah, it's someone like was the, there. It's kind of like a little of the wire where they were like, okay, well, we know it's this phone booth. Call it. See who picks up. Okay, it's this dude. Get him. Yeah, sure. That that could definitely be it. Uh, all right, Jimmy leaves the room. Um, he tells the cops Nacho didn't do it and uh, to go test the blood in the van. And they don't believe him. And instead, they take him over to the Kettleman's house. Uh I Jimmy is very different from Saul Goodman in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, and it, it's fairly obvious when he's interacting with police because you see him interacting with law enforcement in Breaking Good, or mm-hmm. sorry, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and he's very much like, fuck off, this is the law, get out of my way, I'm doing my thing. Yeah. Here he's like, he, he didn't do it, guys, I swear he didn't do it. Yeah. I feel like Saul Goodman tells those guys, yeah, fuck off. It's cl- attorney-client privilege. You're not getting anything out of me. Well, the interview on uh, with Andy Greenwald on Grantland uh, that he did, which I'm going to talk about more in a feedback, uh, I thought Bob Odenkirk had something interesting to say that he said, Saul, this guy's really Jimmy McGill. Saul Goodman is a character that he plays, kind of like the Stephen Colbert hmm. character, the, the extreme delusional right-wing guy on the Colbert report is a character that he, that is not Stephen Colbert. Sure. It's a character he plays and, but it allows him to probably do and say things he would never say in real life. Like Saul Goodman feels like it might be his kind of Dumbo's feather. It's like a security blanket for him. Just yeah, like that's not his real name. It's not his real persona. That allows him to go in there and just you know lay down his vast cloud of bullshit and obfuscation with cops and not yeah. care, not give a fuck. It's he's fa- he's faked it until he made it. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, the other thing about this that I really liked is him shouting through the door. <laughs> like he presses his face up against the door and he's like, he didn't do it. There's a like I'm, I'm defending this guy. It's so yeah, ridiculous. Saul Goodman would run in, and that would be his. That would not be a show. That would be actually what he's saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll have your badges, and you guys are going to get busted down to meter maid duty and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's just really good. Him trying to let Nacho know I'm going to get you yes, out of this. I'm doing the best I can. Uh, Which it recurs to me if I'm looking ahead. I don't know what Nacho. Maybe we should wait till the end. I'm going to make a note to talk about this in the end, because I, I don't know what Nacho makes of this situation. This okay. could be good. Like, he could become the, ah, shit, uh, the the Levy uh, lawyer from The Wire. Like, like, you know, like, he's the gangland lawyer. Okay. Uh, he talked Tuco out of killing these guys, and now he's miraculously got uh, Nacho out of jail in a single day, scot-free. Mm-hmm. That is not 
that's not without currency, it seems like, in this environment. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I, it's, a, it's an engine. It's a story engine. We've been talking a lot about this in the podcast. That's a story engine that could s- facilitate him getting other cases and other, mm-hmm. you know, hooks into the Breaking Bad world. So I'm excited for that. I'm sure Nacho is a guy who doesn't get arrested infrequently. <laughs> yeah. Given his trade. And, like, you know, it's it's it seems like that... The way this thing unfolded, Jimmy could come up and say, look, this was a coincidence. Yeah. They got spooked. They saw you. Look, you got made. They ran off. You got fingered because of of the, the van situation. And mm-hmm. I got you off because I'm such a badass lawyer. Yeah, that's how he's going to have to spin it. Otherwise, right. he's in trouble. The other way it could go, and then we're just talking about it, I guess. The other way it could go is Nacho just has this hanging over his head the whole time. Like, you fucked up. You did good work for me, but now you owe me, and it's going to be a. It, it, it's oh, now got it's some a less on that. it's a less prosperous version of the same thing, essentially, where he gets completely entangled in this underworld, but it's against his will rather than something profitable. Could be, could be. I kind of want to talk about the cliffhanger at the end a little bit, sure, uh, but we'll get there. Okay. Uh, so Jimmy's in the kettle the kettleman house, and he deduces that the family kidnapped themselves, and when he tells the cops that they don't believe him, since there are no vehicles missing. Uh, I was this whole time when they're talking, oh, here's Warren's room. He's 12 years old. Here's JoJo's room. She's seven years old. They're trying to make him crack here. And I was like, oh, that's what they're doing. And then he says it. Oh, sure. okay, guys, you, you got me. You cracked me. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy takes Kim outside, tells her that he knew nothing about Nacho, and he wants her to help him, but she refuses. So he wants her to go to uh, Hamlin and try to get him to do something here. I don't know ex- what he wants exactly from Hamlin. He wants Hamlin to get tell the to like if Hamlin told the cops, "Look, I really think my clients tried to bolt." The Just because he has more, the cops would take clout. it serious, and they'd be like, "Oh, okay. Well, we need to put out a manhunt." And I, I suspect that Jimmy's right <laughs> because Jimmy is who Jimmy is. They wouldn't believe him, and not even Kim. It would have to come from the very top, and she's saying. Hmm. If it were me, I wouldn't do it, and I guarantee Hamlin's not going to do it because it's incriminating your client, and it's kind of a crazy theory, and all this, he, you know, you're yeah. asking a lot for a named partner to put his reputation at stake for a lunatic like yourself. Definitely. Uh, I, I don't think Hamlin would have any interest in that. There's a weird implication here when when Kim says, like, even if I, even if I, yes, even if it were up to me, I couldn't. You know I couldn't. Yes. What does that mean? Does that mean there's something? Is that is that in reference to going to Hamlin? I, is that a reference to? I don't know because you're them right. To believe it. That was that had a lot of meaning, and I wondered if there was a point in the time where she did go to bat for Jimmy, and it blew up in her face. Yeah. So it's like be. maybe could someone be. else could, but you know that I can't. Just like last yeah. episode, or I think the pilot episode, where she's like, no. Yeah. Like he goes, could you? No. <laughs> I, there's something that where somehow she paid a personal or professional price for helping him out in the past. Yeah, I feel like her job might be a risk if she goes to Hamlin and says, Even hey, made Jimmy. a suggestion, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike won't let Jimmy park in the lot after the stunt he pulled. I don't blame him, honestly. Uh, Jimmy tries to park in the entrance to the lot, and Mike takes him down uh, after Jimmy pokes him in the chest. Says, what are you going to do? You got a poop field diaper in there you're going to fling at me? <laughs> yeah, he just does not realize it. I guess he wouldn't. You know, it's just some old guy in a toll booth for all he knows. Yeah, Mike takes him down with a, a small joint lock. 
it's great. It's great. And when he's just like, pump out the ticket, open the stupid gate, I'm like, that's not how you talk to Mike, man. You're right. in trouble here. <laughs> right. Right. But it's funny. I mean, meeting Mike as the yeah. parking booth, the, the, the pompous toll booth guy. The world's most badass toll booth. Is very different than meeting attendant. him, you know, like meeting him, you know, in his full cleaner mode. Oh, yeah. As a the one of the cartel's guys enforcers like that's well a... we first meet him as jimmy's kind of cleanup dude that's true we're yeah. about to actually uh-huh. um in our breaking bad rewatch but yep um you know he just screams competency and one not to be fucked with where this he's just he's just some minor level bureaucrat so yeah. i can see why jimmy would make the mistake oh sure i don't but... blame him it's just an unfortunate event for him <laughs> uh so we go inside the station and the cops are talking to mike they get him they kind of get him agree to agree to help, but you, kind of not. You had a little problem with this, I felt like, when we were watching it together. I did, uh, once you kind of ran it down for me. Because I, I like paused it immediately, and I thought, you know, this this doesn't make a lot of sense here. I think when you, you first saw it, you are like, what the hell? Why would these cops know to go to Mike, the ticket booth guy? Yeah. What is special about him? And I'm, I'm like, I don't think he's special. It's just like, th- this is a stick that they have against Jimmy. This yeah. guy will agree to drop charges on assault, which is bad for you as a lawyer. Yeah. Um if you co- play ball with us. Mm-hmm. And Mike seemed although I thought they did a good job of showing that Mike was kind of put out by these guys' attitudes, yeah. like clapping him on the shoulder and working the whole good citizen and used to be Yeah, and I feel like he doesn't like the use of leverage there against a, uh, against a guy who has no business yeah with him you know i also don't i also think there's a little bit of de- it seemed like they knew that he used to be on the force right it seemed like it and yeah. i don't know if that's something he volunteered like hey you know I, i'd help the cops any way i can i used to be a cop and then these guys just kind of fucked it up for him mm-hmm. um it reminded so. me a little bit of uh the early goings of true detective where like Marty and Rust were sizing uh, the 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 modern day Marty and Rust were sizing up the detectives. Oh yeah, who were that, interviewing you know him. Brother yeah. Mazone and whoever the other guy was. They're interviewing him, and they yeah. kind of both at different times found them a little wanting. Uh huh. So there's a little bit of that too. Like Mike's like these aren't these aren't my kind of cops. These guys yeah. are fucking yeah. idiots. And I buy that. You know, with his background and some of the ideas and theories we have on why Mike might have been uh, ousted from the force. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, what else? I, I like the line about the edible arrangements. Is a sorry, heavy on the pineapple. Uh-huh. It's good stuff. Do you think we'll see... Uh, do you think we'll uh, cut to his shitty nail salon office and there'll be an edible arrangement in the background <laughs> in a future episode? I feel that like That would we be will. awesome. You know what else would be awesome is if... The woman who owns the salon like locked up her paper towels or something after this event. <laughs> like kept all of that under like, lock. No and more key. paper towels for you. Like there's <laughs> yeah. there's a reason she denied him yeah. the cucumber water. He abuses it. You give him cucumber water, he takes the paper towels. It's yep. he's he's he runs amuck with this shit. <laughs> so uh <laughs> Jimmy follows Mike into the stairwell and he finds out, you know, he kinda has an ally in Mike about the kettlemans at least. Something, yeah. Yeah. And Mike tells him nobody wants to leave home. And that probably they were close by. Uh, what do you make of that? Nobody wants to leave home. It's said in a very, uh, po- a very pointed way. Well, I mean, it's clearly supposed to sh- have Jimmy going back to th- rethink this whole case. Yeah. Um, Certainly. I don't know. It seems like the kind of true crime. I mean, I. 
I I will buy anything because I've read so much weird crime stuff where people do weird things and it kind of works until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So um, I was more interested in the fact that this this kind of gives us a little hint to timelines for Mike. Okay, uh, you know he's talking about Super Bowl where the Steelers. Uh, beat the Cowboys, or I can't. I, where the Steelers and the Cowboys played each other, they've played each other three times in seventy nine or seventy six, seventy nine, and ninety six. I feel yeah. like ninety six is a little too close to this timeline. Yeah. Although maybe not. Maybe, uh, but if, if he he would be in like his mid forties and. Because we're saying he's in his mid-60s in Breaking Bad proper. Yeah, somewhere from 60 to, to 65. So he's in his he's in his late 50s to, er, to early 60s in this era? Yeah, no, he's, he's in his mid-50s. Late, late 50s, probably. Um, and then, or mid-50s. And then we found that he'd be in his late 20s uh, or very early 30s uh, for the 70s Super Bowls. Yeah. Um, which... I I could buy that. Like he's, you know, that's enough time that you're not new on the force anymore, but you're not exactly a grizzled veteran that would make, mm-hmm. you know, some big colossal mistake. I don't know. It, uh, but on the other hand, you can't rule out the 96 one, which would be surprising. That would mean that whatever he did that made him flee Philly happened in the very recent past, like within the yeah, last five years seven, or so. Yeah. But that kind of explains it because it's, you know, how long is Mike going to cool his heels in a ticket booth? That's a fair point. Maybe he just gets tired of this life. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the Villigan picked out this Super Bowl combination precisely because it could be lots of possibilities that he's not even, Ambiguous. you know, knocking, he's not locking himself down. And it's also not, it's not a guarantee that anything, these things were tied to what he did either. So yeah. I'm essentially pissing up a chronological <laughs> rope here and we should probably move on. I feel like one thing I'm almost certain of is that Saul is going to be the link between Mike and Gus. Between Mike's toll booth days and Mike's life of crime. Saul is? Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy yeah. is. Huh. That's yeah, I think, you know, Jimmy's already mixed up in, in the drug operation at this point uh, in kind of an inextricable way. So if if Mike were to kind of get on board with him, which it looks like he did a little bit in this episode, mm-hmm. um, I could see things leading down that path where Jimmy introduces him to something better than the toll booth, which is this life of crime. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Might be interesting. Um, Jimmy goes to the Kettleman house. He takes a look around after this discussion with Mike. He walks out the back into the desert, and he walks for hours. I mean, it's light when he leaves. It is, at the very best, dusk when he finds the Kettleman's way out in the desert, just camping and singing songs. He calls Kim to let her know that he found him. Uh, Then he busts in the tent, (laughs) screaming, here's Johnny. Yeah, did I mean... Why did he do this? Why does he do it that way? Somebody in feedback pointed out that he's got this kind of movie fetish. First, he's doing network, and then um, I did not know this, but someone else said that his whole showtime and then the musical cue that happened in the second episode was a reference to all that jazz. And then here he's doing The Shining, and he did it in the beginning episode and the end of the episode, so it kind of bookends it. And I don't know... 
whether this is a little, you know, the best kind of Mary Sue from Vince Gilligan. Like, I'm a pop culture junkie. I'm going to make Saul a pop culture junkie. Or Jimmy a pop culture junkie. Could be. And I could do with a movie reference an episode. That would be fine with me. Not a problem. Regardless, it's hilarious when I mean, that's kind of how I roll. I don't make it out of a fucking week without making some kind of pop culture reference, right? True. You you pulled Dumbo out of your ass this week. But boom, yes. (laughs) Uh. So he tries to get their bags and and send them on their way. That bring is them an back interesting the mental image. Pulling Dumbo out of one's ass. It's, it's tough. It's tough, but you did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he grabs their bags and as he's struggling, one of them rips open, spilling cash all over the tent. They have the money. No more mystery. Yeah, there's a lot of subtle stuff here because you know this is the team Kettleman's and they're like one of those families. <laughs> oh yeah. Like and the kids are totally not into it. Then you and and, and all the it's like. <laughs> The life behind the Facebook page. Oh, God. Never I post Facebook, and it's always like the highlights of life. It's not like today was a boring shit day. Well, some people do that, and then I unfollow them. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like it's always the highlights, and everyone's a perfect family, and my amazing husband, and my beautiful wife, yeah, and all yeah. this other bullshit. And I'm no <laughs> exception. But I thought it was sure. funny to show that the kids are like not into this impromptu camping trip and they were ready to go back to uncle Jimmy to civilization. And I thought the kids are doing some good background work with their facial expressions and whatnot. Yep. I couldn't tell him. He's 12 years old. You're going to sing bingo and John Jacob Jingleheimer (laughs) Schmidt a million times before bed. That bullshit got old five years ago. Mm -hmm. Even the daughter is like, nah, yeah. Even she's too. Yeah. My son, like he's eight. If I started this bingo shit on a road trip, he'd be like, what the fuck? What I do? Did yeah. my Game Boy run out of batteries? What's going on here? Yep. Uh, so there's kind of a cliffhanger at the end of this. We we see, you know, a big piece of information is revealed. They do sure. have the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question now is, what is Saul going to do? He has a few options, as I see it. He can haul them in and report them. You know, get them get them arrested, turn in the money, and all that stuff. That's a little iffy when you're when you're Jimmy. I think. He's got two potentially better options. One, extort that money from them. Take take half and then let them go try to fend for themselves. Um, yeah, extort what he can. Uh, and, and keep that money from Nacho and try to lie to Nacho about it and cover that up. Or he can take that money back to Nacho and just take his finder's fee. Hmm. I think certainly there's a more dangerous option there, that which is, is a, to lie to him. That also really accelerates his life of crime. It definitely does. But we know Jimmy's desperate for money here. His brother doesn't have any more. He's uh, not he doesn't... that desperate, though. I know. Money could be coming in. Because like, uh, if he's that desperate, he would have cashed a 26000 Yes, there is money coming in, but Jimmy is, seems to be a principled guy as well. Okay. Um, he's trying to How do, do you square right, that? He's trying to do right him. by his brother. I mean, these guys. The, the thing that makes this okay, I guess, in Jimmy's eyes, are that these are these are criminals. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, but they got the kids. Like I, that's that's an interesting angle. It's an interesting angle. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I was more worried uh, about what entanglements there are with Nacho because sure. this is late in the day. Is he going? You know, and the cops have been investigating Nacho That's all day long. Nacho's up to no good twenty four seven. It seems like. Can he get him out of there before they find anything? What if he does this all this stuff, but they've already found something else to hang it on him, and then he has to do some more? I mean, this this it could take a couple more episodes to unravel all of this. I think stuff. it will, and I think this you know him kind of cracking the case here is only digging himself deeper. Mm-hmm. I don't think this gets him out of anything. 
Yeah. That's why I kind of brought up the idea that he might take the money or take the money and find get his finder's fee. I also like the fact that this kind of hints towards a future of this show, that he's kind of like a low-rent Columbo. You know, he is an investig. He has to do his own investigation because of who he is and how he doesn't believe. No one believes him and the yeah, nature yeah. of his clientele. So, like, seeing this guy who is and he is smart. Mm-hmm. Um, he does do some stupid stuff and some, you know, less than the sex robot disguise thing and all that. But you know, it's fun watching yeah. someone who is certainly smart and clever work through different plans and schemes. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think you're downplaying his need for money a little bit. You're right. I, I, I think his ethics and principles will not allow him, especially what we see at the beginning of this episode with his brother and the promises he's made. Uh, I I do not think that Jimmy is going to allow his brother to be screwed or what he sees as screwed by the law firm. So it's not him. So he it's does need brother. the money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and he needs the money to support his brother's lifestyle because he doesn't want his brother taking that money. I don't think. I think so. money is a big concern. They use the first two episodes to really set that I up. I think his brother. That's the thing that Jimmy's depressed about. His brother's going to be fine on this eight hundred dollars a week. Like, that's enough for him to live in his primitive Unabomber lifestyle. And now Jimmy's hmm. like, I have no leverage at all to get this settlement done. Hmm. So he might be desperate for money because that far-off payday is kind of, like, evaporating before his eyes. But I mean, he had to bust his ass. Like, after after he goes to his brother and said, we have no money, mm-hmm. he then goes and tries to get all these cases. And but I think does. that's... Be- that was a that was working out of his brother saying if you keep doing good work, good things will happen. And he's like, okay, I'll fucking redouble and try it again. But I think it's both. It's not just that. Well, yeah, it's he also needs that money. he needs the money. I'm mean, sure. look at his car. Look at yeah, 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 yeah. D- definitely. They're, they're they're saying he needs money. But you're saying like desperate for money is like uh like he's a not windy. white he's situ- not windy <laughs> he's not gonna give Wendy's in the parking lot. Yeah, I mean if he's that desperate for money, go down to the Crystal Palace and sure and uh sure. Start drinking root beer and giving Wendy's. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's the episode, man. Yeah. We already talked about the whole nacho angle, I feel like. So I think we're ready to pay some bills and get on the feedback, yeah? Okay, sounds good. So we talked about on The Walking Dead yesterday, and I don't want to belabor the point, but uh, we are starting this new project called Club Bald Move, which eventually um, in the future is going to subsume... Uh, take over all aspects of what we're doing on Subbable and Patreon, and then we will be sunsetting those services. Um, oh, the good news... I hate you for saying sunsetting. <laughs> oh, there's more reasons than that. Uh, <laughs> so there's uh, the the upshot is uh, the reason there, there's a lot of reasons we did this, and we're going to come up with a video package or some kind of thing to kind of like get fully into our mind. I don't want to turn this into like a ten minute pitch, but uh, you know we wanted to somehow bring all this into one. Under the one house, we wanted to have this under our own control, so we're not at the whims of a payment gateway doing this or someone deciding they want to do this. We can kind of control our own destiny, and we also wanted to give people a better value. Uh, so you know, there to get everything on Patreon that we we're offering, you needed to pay ten dollars a month. We're now offering a two dollar monthly subscription to get everything. There's no tiers, mm-hmm. um, or uh, $12 yearly, which is a dollar a month. It's a great deal. It gets you access to the live watch, uh, li- live watches when we do them, the uh, live broadcasting of our podcast as we're recording, um, some video skits, uh, 
ad-free podcast. You never have to listen to this pimping bullshit again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we think it's it, it's the best value for uh, our listeners, and it hopefully is something that will allow us to continue to get paid. Um, we are sensitive to the fact that we have had basically four fundraising schemes in two years, Kickstarter, Patreon, Subbable, now this. But this is... The final destination. This is yep. where you follow the lug tr- log truck too fast, and the, there's it's the chains are going to bust open. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a motorcyclist die right in front of you. Blood on the highways. This is it. Yep. This is it. The Ferris wheel is going to come unhitched, and, and you can dodge and swerve all you want, but eventually but it's, we'll it's, get you. It's going to get you. There's no <laughs> escape. Is that the comparison you're making? I hope not. <laughs> well, I, hope I, had not. To, I had to do something pop culture. Sure. It's in my nature. Sure. I'm like a scorpion on the frog. That's the thing, though, right? We are we saw that this was all kind of bullshit. Too many platforms, too much of that. And we yeah, said we're brainstorming one... new things like what cat, well, you know, what tears. Like, you know, we like we said, we got depressed, honestly depressed in early January. Like, God, if we, you know, put this at a tier that, that, that kind of makes it worth it, like, what, who, who's going to see this? Ten people? It's bullshit. I don't want to yeah. do my best work or the coolest thing or the funniest thing for ten people. And like, if I'm a fan and I want to get access to their content and I want to do some special commission stuff or these other rewards, like I, I gotta to go to multiple my platforms. And... It's bullshit. We're we're consolidating all of it because we understand that it's confusing and difficult. And I'm sure there'll be questions on that, which you can send in to merch at baldmove.com. Um, a couple things. Like, I mean, it seems like the most common question is. What's going on with Subbable? Because you know, and a lot of people have been. Yeah. That's the the plan. That's gonna. Be, it's it's a layaway thing where you can save up for commission podcasts, or whatever. Mm-hmm. We are not going to just evaporate your Subbable. We're not sure exactly how technically we're going to port all that stuff over. Mm-hmm. If we have to, we'll fucking print it onto paper and just like scratch it off when you cash it in on the new thing. But we have no intention of just like, haha, your Subbable money's lost, fuckers. Yeah. So uh, don't worry about that. I hope you guys have enough trust that we, you, you know, we're not going to do a, a Saul Goodman style duffel bag of cash caper. First of all, there's not nearly enough money. <laughs> no, it'd be a, fanny a million pack dollars that it might have already been duffled up, and we might already be in Belize. <laughs> but the money we're talking, it's just not worth it. But we could podcast from Belize, so why wouldn't we just continue doing it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, why? We took your million dollars, but we're still podcasting, so no one cares. Um, so there you go. That's it. That's the thing. If you uh, go to baldmove.com, you cannot escape the directions to Club Bald Move. You can read mm-hmm. all the new features. We're gonna have. We're gonna be adding features as we go. Uh, we're not stopping here. There's other cool things that uh, we're gonna be coming. Uh, you know, slower parts of schedule. We're gonna be introducing. But yeah, check it out. There's examples of some of this content that's been posted. We did a video skit last night where we had a lot of fun, and we posted on YouTube that and. The uh, behind the scenes, that's kind of stuff's going to be premium content going forward. Uh, so check that out and see if it's worth. If is it worth a buck a month? Mm-hmm. If it's not, what do you want? What do you want from us? <laughs> squeeze blood from a turnip? I'll try. I will do that for a dollar a month on the next lunch. I will squeeze blood from a fucking turnip. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sounds good. Feedback, uh, wh- eh? Why don't we squeeze some feedback from this turnip? Uh, let's do it. Uh, Dion A is uh, heading us up, and she says, "You guys are killing me, uh, making me feel 102 years old." I do love your podcast, but regarding you referencing Laverne and Shirley reruns as a go-to source for Michael McKean, really, the Spinal Tap mean nothing to you? Oh yeah, come on. Did you? I've not seen Spinal Tap. Uh, I haven't seen it all, but it was on Comedy Central like a hundred times sure. uh, when I was growing up. Michael McKean apparently is in that. Yeah. 
Yeah, he is. So, uh, he plays a dude with long, stringy hair. I know that much. Uh, she then sent back an email. I think he's their manager, I think, or their promoter. Mm. I'm not certain. I feel I've, like I've, I've seen, little bits and pieces I feel like I've seen yeah. this is Spinal Tap because you've seen it in so many clips and there's so many references and that, you know, this goes to Levin yeah. and how much blacker can you get? None more black. I mean, I feel yeah. like I've seen it even though I haven't. Yeah. Um, she said, confirms that she's 102 years old. Uh, she says, after I finished watching episode two tonight, I read through all the comments on your Facebook page regarding the episode. Nobody made reference to the scene where Jimmy looked in the mirror in the bathroom and said, it's showtime folks. And then Vivaldi was playing on the soundtrack. Apparently I'm the only person who follows you and better call Saul who knows that is a direct steal from the 1979 movie. All that jazz. I don't know. I, I don't know think you're that. 102 years old, but you know. I'm starting to feel that a little bit watching Saturday Night Live. Who the fuck is this musical guest? How do I not know this? <laughs> I listen to radio. I'm hip. I mean, it, ha- it comes for us all. Just like just like the log truck. Sure. Yeah, it's it's it, inevitable. It, it it comes for us all. So sorry sorry to make you feel that way, Dion. Uh, please continue listening. Ben from Newcastle, England. Again, I don't know where he's finding his new castles in England, but he says, after Uno and Miho, it's finally happened. The constantly great person who you can get behind, who you love, who's the eternal voice of reason for us, the audience. The one person you can always rely on to be the fan favorite, the advocate, Mike, has changed not for the better. That's right. Jim Jones has broken bad. I've he's, broken bad. He's taking a turn as the bad guy in the podcast. Heisen Jim is here. Can Aaron <laughs> pull him around and save his soul or he'll resort to cooking up Crystal Blue podcast forever? Only time will tell. I like that. I'm the Hank, and you're, and you're the Heisen Jim, or the Jimsenberg. All right. I can buy that. I'm okay with that. Are you going to sip your red wine and mock me, or are you going to get on to the, the, the love wagon here? No. Well, I'm... Never I mean, a good this, idea to get on the love wagon. Not with you, no. <laughs> uh, the This episode was much better. Much better, because they didn't spend the first half of it with their thumbs up their asses. Yeah. Unlike last episode, where they did. Yeah, no, I I posted on the forums, I think, that it was puzzling to me for the first two episodes of why the critics were as high as they were. Like, this mm-hmm. is definitely a good show. It's entertaining. But they were talking like, oh, yeah, this is a worthy successor for Breaking Bad. And I'm like, the jury's kind of out. I think if I saw these three episodes as a three-episode package, like bang, 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 like all these guys do. Mm-hmm. And and the cliffhanger in episode three was the taste that left in my mouth. I might have written a review. Again, the guy saying it's better than Breaking Bad, even at season one to season one comparison, totally smoking the blue stuff. Yep. But I can see why uh, people were more high on it. And I, yeah, I feel like the, the series found its footing in this episode a little bit more. And there's a lot of fans that agree with you. I mean, Shane Bowman was saying, like, I... He was kind of commiserating on the forums. Like, every time I go to some place where people are discussing the show and I say... I don't love it, or mm-hmm. I'm not just in lust with the show. I feel like people are, you know, giving me the stink eye. Sure. Then you've gotten a lot of stink eye of yeah. late. Uh, whatever. I'm going to say what I think on it. Yep. Um, I did exactly that, and I'll I'll continue to do that. That's right. So, are you? You should just start screaming. Am I under arrest? Do I need a lawyer? <laughs> Ryan F said, "If you guys have not seen the interview that Bob Odenkirk posted online today, you should check it out." Particularly some good stuff at the end where he talks about the show's vision being to answer the question of what happens to Jimmy that makes him feel that he needs to adopt the persona of Saul in order to move forward in the world. And Bob's saying that Saul is not someone who he would want to hang out with, but that he is much more sympathetic to Jimmy. 
Um, he also hints that there are some episodes later in the first season to act as some early, sh- uh, to make some early slowness worth waiting through. He was talking specifically, he men- mentioned episode six and episode nine. Yeah, as he did. being like big tentpole episodes. It's, I don't know if that was just him pulling numbers out of his ass or knowing that there are big things coming up. Hmm. Yeah, so Andy Greenwald was the interviewee on Grantland, and it seemed like that Bob Odenkirk had a really good time. Like halfway through the interview, he's like, "Wow, this is the best interview I've done on this tour." Was but you can never tell. Bob is that something they, they just say? Is he making a joke? I is felt he... like halfway through he stopped kind of making jokes, and they were talking about the craft, and then he acknowledged, "Like, man, you start talking about this, mm-hmm. and you start sounding like this pompous ass because this is such you know comedy and television and acting, and this whole process is this ephemeral deal, like it's smoke, yeah. and you're trying to grab it and describe why something works and why something doesn't work." And like, yeah, I mean, just the fact that he's saying stuff like that tells me that it's it's a cut above your average Bob Odenkirk uh, interview. And mm-hmm. also Andy Greenwald seemed like when he he didn't know what to do with it. It's like, wow, this is I'm getting a good interview. Um, <laughs> I'll post that in the show notes. So if you want to check it out, I um, Andy Greenwald am recording something worthwhile. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of Andy. I know you're not. I know, man. Uh, I hope I hope. uh uh, he's got he's definitely got some promise, but I don't know. I mean, he's a young guy and a lot a lot has happened to him. And sometimes like uh, his protege or his mentor, Bill Simmons, would say it's like, you know, you get a 19 year old guy to get signed to the NBA. Maybe if he'd gone to four years of college and, you know, had some hard knocks, he'd had a better career than hmm. if you give 19 a 19 year old 40 million dollars and say, have fun. Yeah. And then he washes out of the league five years later. It's like, I don't, I don't want to see that for the next generation of talent sure all right speaking of blowhard uh we need to move on robert r said i didn't mean to impugn i didn't mean to imply that robert was the blowhard okay just to be clear sure i got it (laughs) (laughs) you can rein me in anytime you know no i'm just gonna let you podcast too (laughs) yeah i'm just gonna give you enough rope to hang yourself with okay all right are we sure saul's brother is simply crazy I feel like it will be revealed to us that he has some form of terminal cancer and he's made him swear off of electricity and cell phones and radios in a desperate attempt to try to beat it or is just blaming it as a cause. This is Mm. the mad cow disease storyline from Boston Legal, essentially. I haven't seen it. Oh, you would love Boston Legal. I know. It's got William William Shatner. Shatner. Mm -hmm. So one of the plot lines of William Shatner is a brilliant attorney who has, has Alzheimer's. Oh, okay. But he's in complete denial. He says he always says I have a touch of mad cow and I'm going to shake it. <laughs> you know, something that you can okay. you can you can you can get you can you can beat. Yeah, not something Alzheimer's. It just you know is always going to win. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, he says Saul seems sadder than just uh, you're crazy when he relents to his brother saying I'm going to beat this as if he's only got so long to live. I would assume that the law firm setup would be more favorable to the, for them if it simply passes away and is why Saul's trying to convince him to cash out for more. But cashing out would probably be viewed as acceptance that he would die from his terminal disease illness and it cannot be beaten. How can you tell your bro, dude, you're just going to die, get your money, and enjoy yourself? Um, it's possible. I uh, The only thing I don't know about is, like, it seems to me that dying is bad, <laughs> because you have to pay. It's like there's usually like laws and agreements and stuff that you have to buy out the widow or yes. the whoever's the next in lot kin. Uh-huh. Whereas if he's just crazy and is out to lunch, you can say, oh, look, he's taking extended leave of absence and not have to do shit. Sure. 
Uh, yeah, and like the theory you brought up earlier, uh, I think there's not a lot to go on yet. Uh, as we find out more about Chuck, I think we'll we'll have better educated guesses here. But so far, it looks to me like he has got mental issues. Yeah, I don't I don't see any cancer there yet. It would be. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. Again, that was uh, that's an interesting subplot. Someone that's powerful. Um, that just can't come to grips with their own mortality. So they, you know, have this weird Manchowson syndrome thing going on with themselves. Yeah, but you've also got to be a little kooky to think that shrouding yourself in a space blanket is what's going to help your cancer. Yeah, sure. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that those dots necessarily connect all that well. Right on. Um, okay, so we are going to move on to Pablo... Pablo L. says, 10 episodes is what we're getting. Three episodes in, and I am torn. Not because I'm not enjoying it, because that would be lying. Because Breaking Bad, the thing that it will forever be attached to, had a structure, a story to tell, and at very least, an outline. Better Call Saul doesn't feel like it has any of that. In fact, it feels like Vince and Gould could be brainstorming, finding the show before our very (laughs) eyes. Which isn't terrible, but doesn't give any sense of structure. Where will the show go? How can it continue to be interesting? And can it? What do you think about that, Jim Jones? Yeah, I think they've got to get to some some more drama. Um, that's that's the thing that really spoke to me about Breaking Bad, and I love the comedy in it, but ultimately I think this show is going to be a drama, just like Breaking Bad was. Uh, they need to get more into that, and I think they're headed in the right direction. It's just so early. Yeah, It's, and it's I, hard to tell. This is where I feel like I have to put a little trust in the Villigan and Ghoul because... They said as much. Like, it took us a long time to figure out what this show was going to be and its arc. Yeah. And I don't think they would have gone forward with this the first season had they not had a pretty good engine ready to go for this. And again, yeah. I think we saw it for the first time. Like, okay, this episode is the first one that's left us with some springboards into multiple potential storylines. Yeah, this op- this cracks it wide open at the end. So... I'm I'm for, a for little a lot of characters for yeah. Saul for Chuck for Mike for everybody involved. Sure, uh, this there are a lot of possibilities after this one. Unlike the last episode where we were just kind of just starting the journey, right? Like just connecting Saul to the underworld and we're in the loosest of ways. And you gotta you gotta snowball it. We're starting to see how this jumping around in time is is. The series is, is using this series is going to use for its advantage because I could easily spend five or ten minutes jumping back to Slippin' Jimmy era mm-hmm. to see how what happened to the case, see how he started his legal career, you know what's behind all those bogus diplomas, mm-hmm. uh, Mike's deal in Philadelphia. There is so much kind of you know filler essentially that's good filler. It's interesting filler, yeah. That they could use that could keep this episode, this series going for a year or two just by itself. Yeah, and I mean, if Mike ends up in the underworld and he gets connected with Gus, imagine the doors that that opens. Sure, seeing Gus's exploits with the cartel and with uh, you know his partner, the the other chicken brother. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff there that they can mine, and I think you know a lot of the structure of Better Call Saul comes from Breaking Bad. Yeah, sure. Like we know where a lot of this stuff is going. How it gets there is going to be interesting, I think. Yeah. Uh Liz G said episode three in my in my opinion is the best so far of this very new show. I think I liked it because Mike was in it more and because the acting was a re- the ending was a real cliffhanger. 
What are they going to do about that bag of money? I'm interested in finding out. Mm-hmm. However, the pace of the show is still slower than I want it to be. Was it necessary to show Saul walking all over creation? He walked all day in his quest to find that family. Uh, what did you think about that? <laughs> I didn't have a problem I with that. I was waiting because I saw it before you, and then when we were watching together, I was kind of like side-eyeing you, hmm. waiting for you to start rolling your eyes or jerking your head or whatever you do. But but it was it was in service of an end, right? In service of a goal. It wasn't like the desert where he's out there flip-flopping between these stories and floundering and just like... We know nothing can happen to him. We're genuinely curious in this scene. Where is this going to Plus lead him? Plus, it's like, him? what, is it a minute, a minute and two? It wasn't very long, Other 17-minute yeah. desert scene or whatever it was. Yeah, I, I didn't have much of a problem with that at all. Okay. Or and it had a fantastic Elvis song backing it up. That never sure. hurts. Yeah. Um, is it just me, or is it not clear who Kim is on this show? Kim is the, I think, well, she's about to ask, is Kim an investigator at the law firm? She doesn't seem to be an attorney, but I could be wrong. She mentioned that if she if they got this Kettleman case, that she would be the second chair, I think, which means that she would be the assistant lawyer to one of the main okay. partners. So she's definitely an attorney, but I think yeah. she's like a junior, an up and coming junior partner. Yep. Is how I feel. Yeah, and we, you know, we had uh, mentions of a promising career from her. Yeah. So she's definitely in the law firm as an attorney of some kind. Uh, I hope the show is done with Mike in the booth and the paying for parking issues. I'm tired of that sequence. I, I, I'm partially in agree. I think that we could do another episode or two, but this can't be all season long, the battle of the ticket booth. Yeah, they like, hit it so hard in episode one, I think it was, just over and over and over. Or it was the montage that they hit it in episode two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can't continue that for much longer. Like I think that may, what I'd like to see is somehow Jimmy figure out a way to spin their next few angles positively to to try to somehow involve yeah. Mike in his next scheme. Like I could I I I'm fine with that if it starts to so it's clearly going somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, it's the haha value is is just about done. Mm-hmm. Unless we're, they're going to have Saul or uh Mike just brutalize Jimmy. <laughs> uh yeah, I know. I mean, I it was funny to see, you know, that's what we've been waiting for. That's the tension yeah. that's been building up like Uh-huh. All right, he's finally going to get his ass kicked. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Probably wouldn't be funny the second time around. Yeah. Uh, is Nacho stupid, or did he want to get caught casing the house so he could call Saul to test out his lawyer skills? I didn't get that at all. He got caught in circumstances. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, the neighbor saw him. He's probably not. Jimmy great at happened the to give stuff. the warning the day. I mean, and he happened uh-huh. to be casing at that exact same moment in a kind of an obvious way. I don't yeah. think Nacho's stupid though. The first no. two episodes we've seen him in, he doesn't seem stupid. He seems, uh, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, what. how would you calibrate? Because, like, Gus is at the top of the pyramid as far as smart oh. villains. And Tuco is yeah. towards the bottom. He's above Tuco, but below Gus? Uh, absolutely. Like, I kind of want to peg him halfway there. Like, he's a five, and then that could go up or down depending on how we see him in the next few episodes. Yeah, I got to see more of him. Like, he definitely seemed to understand the situation better than Tuco out in the desert, but that's not hard. Yeah. And he kept a lot of emotional control. Uh, he could have been a lot crazier with Saul if he wanted to in that interrogation room. Yeah, true. Matt R. from Sydney, Australia says, insert robotic sex voice here um 
I can yeah, hand me the hand me the right. sex voice. There you go. It's just for you, Matt. If I had any doubts about how this show uh, about this show, they were all dismissed by episode three. I thought Saul worked so well in Breaking Bad as he was there at the right time with the right line. I was not so sure if seeing him full time may have been too much even for a diehard Saul fan, but it was fantastic watching Mike and Saul have the conversation away from the ticket booth. Mike's short and witty comments combined with Saul's excitable personality brought back great memories and a smile on my face as I look forward to the rest of the season. The way Mike said you're a couple of turkeys to the two feds without saying much at all was priceless. Sure. Co-signed. I, yeah, Mike is Mike is still Mike. I mean, Mike hasn't changed, right? No. No, he is not. As far as I can tell, he is as unchanging as the Rocky fucking mountains and mm-hmm. approximately as old. Rintaro O said, I've been noticing a significant amount of concerns that viewers have about the series, though two specific criticisms come immediately to mind. The first is about the pacing of the show, which I guess is subjective. Uh, the one, uh, the way I view the show is that it's equal parts of drama and comedy, which has a much softer cadence than its sequel, and therefore the pacing should not be viewed in the same light and have much more room to breathe, meaning there are times that they're going to allow plot points to hang in the air for a reasonable amount of time until they either become funny or dramatic in nature. Uh, you know, comedy torture. Like, yeah. That's something I don't think Breaking Bad's mind very often, but stuff like SNL does where they do something that's funny and then they do it till it's not funny and then it warps back around to being funny But again. sometimes it doesn't warp back sometimes around. Sometimes it doesn't. That's and the that's, problem. That's where yeah. you fall into the black hole. That's yeah. where Matthew McConaughey doesn't end up in a tesseract. <laughs> He's just lost He's in just time. disintegrated, yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad, on the other hand, is more of a drama with bits of comedy where the plot and pacing is highly combined. Too much drama has a chance to pull put its weight on the viewers and get them into a sort of fog, so the plot has to move along at a quicker pace since there is less reliance on comedy to suppress the tension. Different individuals have more willingness to hold tension before it comes too much for them. Uh, becomes too much for them. Ergo, for each individual, the plot and the tension are intertwined in matters of subjectivity. All right, all right. We had the thesis on sub- on, yeah. on tension now. Uh, well, actually, this is the thesis on tension. On the other hand, the thing that leaves me scratching my head are the problems the majority of people have about tension and knowing what's going to happen next. When you watch Breaking Bad, after you've already seen it, you know exactly what will happen to all the characters, and it doesn't make it any less of a good show. So it's the exact same scenario as Better Call Saul, except for Better Call Saul has an abundance of characters and plots that are not in place during Breaking Bad. Um. Okay, so... She's that they continue. So at least uh, if you've only watched Breaking Bad once and never planning to watch it again, unless that's true, it's an unca- a categorically unfair argument. So I, I'm not as tense watching a show the second time. Uh, but we have been like we, when we've gone back and watched season one and season two, knowing full well. Who I gets recognize out and who that survives, the scene is tense, but I am not as tense. Really? So you don't get wrapped like, up the second time through. Not as much, no. I mean, I'm not. I'm not on the edge of my seat, going, "Oh, what's going to happen next?" Do, that, you, do you think that tension, that part of it is lost? Do you think some of the tension is even though you know they're going to get out of it, how they get out of it? Because let's face In it, this outside, case, yeah, outside of shows like Game of Thrones and some other notable examples, um, main characters just never die. Ah, yeah, yeah. Until you it's the end of the season or series or whatever. Uh, Walking Dead, same kind of way, although we've yet to lose a main character. So, yeah, kinda. you know, it's like, so you never thought that Walt was going to die in any of these episodes, but it was still tense. 
What is and yeah. then, this is yeah, a question fair. I'm actually interested in. I don't know how you generate tension with the audience knowing that this is off the table. Brian Cranston yeah. is never going to die on Breaking Bad until the series is over. At least that's what I always thought. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I still felt incredible tension watching some of this stuff happen. So like, why? Yeah, so I guess part of it is that you just don't know for a fact. I mean, it could be one of those shows where they'll kill the main guy. Who knows? Uh, I, I agree that is a weak argument because but it's I myself in, like, was the gambler's watching fa- fallacy that like just because it could happen, it's like that's equal. It, it mentally hacks you to that's an equal somehow in your mind is an equal possibility. Uh, potentially, I yeah. don't know. I, I was certainly thinking the whole time, yeah, Walt's not going to die. Um, and yet somehow they did, they did establish that tension. I think it was a lot of the players around him, which Saul doesn't have at this point. Yes. And that's a, that's a big problem. You can't have any collateral damage for Saul because he doesn't, in the first two episodes, there's no one for collateral damage to happen to. Or something important that can be taken away, like a relationship yeah. that, like if him and Kim... It's be- a character who starts at nothing, whereas Walter White started with a family that he dearly loved. And e- Yeah, and every step, if he was discovered, that's all gets scuttled. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's, that's so, good so there's some inherent tension in there other than Walt dying. Uh, the, the point that we kind of dwell on a little bit is Saul can't die in these first few episodes, and we know that, but there isn't that added tension of, of the collateral damage. Um, moving on to Joseph E said, I'm sure Jim has some pacing problems with this week's episode, but nobody cares, no. Jim, because I'm loving Better Call Saul. All right. You're, you are free to love it. I loved it this week, too. Did the dynamics of the investigation hold together for you two? I thought Villigan, the ghoul, and the team were geniuses for how they constructed this. Jimmy's consciousness gets him to make the call. The tip from the neighbor makes Nacho look incredibly guilty. Detectives have no other options of what to believe. Nacho doesn't believe in coincidences, so he has to believe Jimmy screwed him somehow, which he kind of did. Meanwhile, Jimmy knows all the details and is in the best position to figure everything out. Mike's experience as a cop gave Jimmy the nudge of insight needed, which was wonderful plot construction and makes Gotham look like it was written by preschoolers. (laughs) My prediction for Chuck, he doesn't die. Instead, because of something Jimmy does, he ends up in prison for a long time. Ooh. Ooh. That's a worse fate. That would really make that f- this scene poignant, where uh-huh. he's saying, "Don't embarrass me." Well, it can get a lot worse, Chuck. Sure. Um, I totally agree. Uh, I never thought of it in this way, but like seeing it all laid out before, it was a really elegant and efficient plot. Yeah, it worked, and that's like I don't have any pacing problems with this episode. Lastly, I hear people talk about the arc of the show being turning J- turning Jimmy into Saul. It's important to keep in mind this isn't necessarily a tragedy and does not need to get darker season by season. Jimmy eventually becomes comfortable with himself as a criminal. The show can have dark consequences, but still have Saul become happier by the end. If anyone can pull that off, it's the Villigan. The series will not end with a deep sadness, but with Saul Goodman settling into who he is. That's an interesting contrast. Probably probably right. Probably right. I don't know how you go to becoming Saul Goodman, who is clearly okay with all of the things he's doing. Uh, and have it be a very, very sad thing. Hmm. I, right? I don't view Saul Goodman as a sad guy. Certainly. I view him as a guy who's doing probably what he needs to do to get by, but also he's very successful. Right. Well, I mean, we know ultimately his arc is sort of tragic, although, you know, we had people writing in and it's like having problems with... At the very end, after Breaking Bad, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, that'd be interesting to see like him on a mild triumphant note at the end of this season series which i i suspect is right could be yeah um because he is kind of on a triumphant note in the beginning of uh 
breaking although <laughs> there's some we entanglements. don't know i mean if we see saul as a character that he you know just like, like jimmy seemed very convincing when he met with the kettlemans for the first time uh-huh. and they saw through his threadbare veneer he could be trying he could have tried that thing with with walt in the classroom and if walt was a savvier customer he'd been like get the fuck out of here sure so maybe not we don't know we don't know uh, Neil from World, the UK. I'm currently listening to your Miho podcast and wanted to raise a point about the tension that you described. With any prequel, we know that certain characters are unable to be killed. This is kind of like something we've already, we we talked about in the previous email. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says the tension for him. I'm really interested to see if they introduce tension and harm on the emotional side. We've already met his brother, his lawyer, quote unquote friend, who is Kim. I can see a situation with either of these characters or other significant others to Jimmy and Saul putting being put in precarious situations. Jimmy and Saul's asset is his mouth and his ability to talk his way out of situations. We have seen how it can become he can become the go-to lawyer for high-stakes criminals in Breaking Bad, so why kill him? If you want Jimmy or Saul to do something, he certainly appears to have clear and dear affection for his brother, so that, ang- that is an angle that Tuco or other members of his crew could exploit. I'm curious and excited to see how this sort of thing progresses. Saul has a lot he could lose emotionally. Did he choose to become Saul to hide, or was it a more a needs must do to his activity and history as Jimmy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that is is right on. You know, kind of with what we were saying the the idea that you know it's not Saul who's going to lose his life; it's the things around him, or maybe lose his soul, like the emailer saying. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I yeah, I think that's definitely interesting. It doesn't have to be uh, Saul's life in danger thing all the time. Okay, just a couple left. Doug L is the lawyer that said that he would give some uh, legal analysis and insights, uh, and he welcomes anyone, any of our or your questions that you might have. He said, here's an interesting legal issue from this week's episode, and it has to do with the flashback to the beginning. All attorneys, in order to get licensed, have to submit a moral character fitness application to the state bar and have it approved. Hmm. That means whatever Jimmy did in Chicago, he got off with enough without enough of a black mark to prevent him from getting that application approved. Or Chicago sunroof, not a big deal. Or Chicago's yeah. politics is just some shady shit, and <laughs> some things can happen, and nah. some people can go to universities of American Samoa, and everything works out. I find that hard to believe. I'm assuming, <laughs> and and um, those degrees on his wall said Saul Goodman, right? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So there's some fraudulent going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming that he's not practicing law without a license because it's virtually impossible to get away with in the internet age. Uh, under New Mexico's particular rules, the board ter- determines the applicant's moral fitness, and when it comes to prior conduct, they look at the application applicant's age at the time of the conduct, the recency, the reliability of information concerning the conduct, the seriousness of it, the factors underlying it, the cumulative hmm. effect of it, the evidence of rehabilitation, the applicant's positive social contribution since the conduct. Seems like a fairly just way to do it. Well, also, I'm also seeing a lot of red flags here with Jimmy <laughs> as well, I'm ticking these off. Certainly, certainly. The applicant's candor and admissions process uh, and the materiality okay. of any omissions or misrepresentations. All right. If, I like that process. That's a good process. If Jimmy was convicted of a serious crime, he can prove good character by demonstrating clear and convincing evidence he's rehabilitated. A serious crime is defined as any felony, um, any lesser crime, which a necessary element of which is determined by the statutory common law. Uh, definition of such crime involves uh, conduct as an attorney, ding, interference with the administration of justice, ding, false swearing, 
maybe ding, misrepresentation, ding, fraud, ding, <laughs> failure, willful failure to file tax uh, returns, uh, money laundering, ding, deceit, bribery, extortion, misappropriation, theft, or an attempt to commit or conspiracy to commit a solicitation of another to commit a serious crime. Hmm. This all begs the question, just what exactly Jimmy was convicted of and, and what did he have to do to convince New Mexico is rehabilitated enough to let him practice law? Yep. Or I'll throw in another question. Is his brother a good enough attorney that he could just somehow get all this suppressed and thrown out? Yeah, yeah, maybe he gets off scot-free because his brother is that great, and that's what they're going to try to show us. Uh, From what we know, we know there's a sexual component to it, which almost certainly implicates a felony. Even assuming he pled down to misdemeanor, it would have to be a crime which doesn't fall into any of the other categories unless he satisfied the uphill battle to prove rehabilitation. Which Mm -hmm. slipping Jimmy... Again, all these things are something I can't imagine the Chicago sunroof doesn't involve components of. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I, I think they're going to try to show us how good his brother is by him just completely getting the charge. I would dropped. love to see some of this courtroom scene. Yeah. If that's the case. Yeah, it'd be a great contrast between Saul, like yes. Jimmy's courtroom scenes and his brother's. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. One that's like style over substance versus mm-hmm. one that's substance over style. It would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, he closes in saying, I hope this gives some context and impact of that scene. And remember, if you have or any of your listeners have legal questions about the show, I'm happy to do a little delving if it helps enrich the show. Thank you for the generous offer, Doug. I appreciate it. And we yeah, will cool. We will keep your matchbook on file. <laughs> uh, Bobby Z says, how does Jimmy McGill get the name Saul Goodman? I predict, official prediction, after many tense moments and near-death experiences at the hand of Nacho and Tuco's men... Jimmy will eventually figure out a solution that benefits and satisfies Tuco's crew, thereby earning their respect. I realize I'm not really going out much of a limb with that prediction, but at the conclusion of the Nacho storyline, a nervous Jimmy will say to him something to the effect of, so, are we cool now? Uh, and to which Nacho will reply, it's all good, man. Boom. Saul Goodman is born. Seems a little on the nose. Uh, I wouldn't but I pass. Yes. Yeah, because that's the other thing I don't think people appreciate about Villigan. As nuanced and complicated as the guy is, uh-huh. there is a core component of cornball to him. Yeah, it's like this juvenile. Like sort you of listen sense to the humor. podcast and uh-huh. see his interview, he is a little cornpone, which I like. I, think I that's do funny. too. Yeah. I'm a little cornpone, uh-huh. so uh, I would not put it past the 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 easy joke. And I I also expect him to make it land. Here's the thing: I feel like. Whatever he does, whatever turns him into Saul Goodman is going to be to get to to hide from these people, to hide from the cartel. Because when we see Man, him, you cannot hide from the fucking cartel by changing your name and then putting up billboards and our. When we see him in Breaking Bad for the first time, and he's out in the desert, he's like, "Did Lalo send you?" Like, sure, all these things that very much felt to me like he is hiding from some some part of his history that is trying to find him. I so I interpret that is that he thinks he's good, but it wouldn't shock him if somebody through some misunderstanding or past debt that he thought was settled had come back. That's to possible haunt him. too, yeah. But him hiding, I just don't buy it with his face being on a TV and his face being on a billboard, especially like, given that they and it's the same he's fucking in town. Albuquerque. Yeah, this isn't Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. This isn't you know Stephen Kingville, Maine. This is. The same town he was cutting capers with Nacho, et cetera. Yeah, true. Uh, Matt M. said this is the best episode yet. We had some vintage Breaking Bad Mike. Wait, speaking of hiding. Okay. Backing up the train. Mike seems to think in this episode that it is a good idea to hide very close to home. 
Mike himself thinks that that is a super smart thing to do. I personally mm. do not. I think it is much more likely that you get found out if you stay very close to home than if you move where people don't recognize you, where no one is actually looking for you. I think it is a really dumb idea to stay in your same hometown. Do you think Mike was saying it was smart, or do you think he was saying it's human nature, which by necess- which by implication could mean it's 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 stupid, but it's what people do. Maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe that's what he's saying. Yeah. Like people that aren't criminals, when they get a little bit of pressure on their life, don't go to the criminal ultimate solution. They don't call yeah. the cleaner company. They just you know they do they, what normal people would do. Yeah, and but but if you're like a little smarter than that, you know that oh they'll be look you know we don't have fake IDs. Mm-hmm. We don't we can't get out of the country. You know they're be checking license plates and all that stuff. So then you what do you do if you got a guy outside your house with in a van? You bug out and go camping, even though it's not. Sure. A, it's not necessarily bad. It's not a good, great plan. And then it's like you get stuck. Where do in a you rut. get your food? Yeah, like you got to go into town to get food. There are cameras everywhere. People looking for you. Sure, it seems much smarter to get out of town. Uh, Matt said this episode is the best one yet. Had some vintage Breaking Bad. Mike t- taking down Saul was great, but his anecdote about Philly was the best. This mm-hmm. is Mike at his best. The cold open was amazing work by both actors. Best of all was the final scene with the Kettlemans. Everyone in that scene was perfect, especially the kids, which I agree. <laughs> yep. The switch that Mrs. Kettleman undergoes, instantly changing from kids' song singing Mom, the yeah. Greedy Thief, was great work. Also, mm-hmm. I love the shades of Big Lebowski. She kidnapped herself, man. That's something <laughs> I was saying at the, the whole... episodes. Like, oh, we're doing the Big Lebowski plot. Yeah. I, I knew it from the very beginning. I was like, they kidnapped themselves, man. Yeah. Like, so this is the final email. We have a, a slight spoiler email. That we can read after credits. It's like okay. it's like one day past its expiration date. Milk. It's slightly spoiled. You might just smell it and drink it. Anyway. Uh, I might even say it, and you're like, "What? Who? Huh?" Mm-hmm. But it's casting news, and I'm you'll I'm, you'll put it in your vodka and Kahlua and call it a day. Call it a day. Yeah, I, a lot of callbacks in that. Just got to say, a lot of callbacks in that statement. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Several of them. That's true. Anyway. Uh, but is that yeah, it? That's that's it. We'll do to the, we'll get to the single spoiler casting news email in the spoiler okay. section, um, and then we'll be out until next week. Sounds good. Do you want to tell people where they can contact us? Uh, you can do so at bettercastsall at baldmove.com, on our forums at forums.baldmove.com, on facebook.com slash baldmove, or on Twitter at baldmove. All right. That's it. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. And we're back with the spoiler section. What do we have this week? Arvind wrote in and said, Javier Gradesa, who plays Juan Bolsa in Breaking Bad. Ah, okay. The cartel guy who's the boss of uh, Lionel Lionel and Marco Salamanca, the cousins. Okay. Uh, He's not not Eladio. Yeah. He's kind of like the underboss of Eladio. He's the guy that Gus has killed, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They storm his palace. He's and the guy who him. had Tortuga killed. Um, yes, and he's he, on the phone with him when he dies, right? Maybe. Gus is? We're about to get through to that season, so... Well, okay. not about... It'll be starting up this summer, but... Um, he's been cast in an unknown number of episodes. I can hmm. see this tying in with Ignacio, Nacho, and Saul's interaction with the cartel. Just yeah. throw it out there. So, yeah. Um, that is... 
interesting, especially with combined with last week's finding out that Max or Siniega is going to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some solid ties. Do you think we see Gus this season? Not. Th- I would be surprised if we saw him this season. He's a pretty big gun. Yeah, that's the guy you bring out season three, maybe like or the I'm end of season two if it's Breaking Bad. I feel like so. I feel like this is a, about a three season arc. Okay, if the whole show is three seasons, I could see like near the beginning of season two. But I don't know, because if if Villigan's going to be like, all right, this is in good hands, I'm out after this season, um, Peter Gould might have more ambitions. I just, Mm. it seems hard to believe that this would be, it's kind of like the same thing with The Leftovers. I really like The Leftovers, but it feels like three seasons is about all you could take of it. Sure, and that sure. says nothing about the quality of it. It's just like no. that's a lot. Like it's the it's, tone of it, it will it will it will pass into parody yeah. if they pack that much melodrama and existential. You know, just the same way of, of Saul. You pack too much of Saul over too many seasons, and it's going to get the same way. Sure. And and it can't morph into something else because we know where it ends up. Yeah, it's not like. Uh, they could spin this all into a detective show where him and Mike are, you know, private eye detective buddies. <laughs> and if they did, I, that would be terrible. <laughs> I mean, I guess they could. And then uh, the when the, when the ratings drop to where they kill it, then they blow it up, and he goes and he he closes in his practice and opens up Saul Goodman as falling back on his legal profession. I, they they but do you can have tell that, out, that that right? is kind of bullshit, right? Yeah. And the second season has already been green lighted, uh, green lit, whatever. So, uh, yeah, I don't want this to last to overstay its welcome. I had some inside info on that. I would talk to someone involved in the production, and they said that was kind of like a wink, wink marketing deal. The AMC essentially ordered two seasons. Oh, and but they ripped it out. They announced it as if the second season had been renewed on the strength of seeing the the. So it's like, oh, it's so good. The AMC Zex is like, oh, the pilot, fuck, ordered the uh, a, a season two, but it was always yeah. intended to be. Uh, a two season order. Second episode cancel season two. Which that means nothing. I mean they, I mean the, clearly the ratings are good enough that this is going to stick around. I mean it's I it's, it's hitting so, solid yeah. season three Breaking Bad numbers right now, yep. which I think are good enough. Or actually season four Breaking Bad numbers. Season three was shockingly bad. Yeah, um, I mean what else? What else does AMC have to fall back that's on? That's the thing because Mad Men is going off the air this year. They Halt and Catch Fire wasn't a hit. The Killing wasn't a it's hit. It's coming back. Halt and Catch Fire. I know. Is, I know yeah. they're coming back, but they're not the big hits, the big monsters that you know. Uh, Mad Men, which started them out on their run. Yeah. Uh, like Hell on Wheels isn't isn't a huge show. Yeah. I like don't the think Walking so. Dead is their monster, but right. they need some some kind of in between shows. Speaking this is the end this is a spoiler section so we can go a little bit longer. Did you read I was shocked after we got done recording a podcast I was reading last night uh and I want to remember to talk about this in the Walking Dead podcast, but it's supposed that AMC has not picked up the pilot for the pre the sequel, the the spin-off. It's produced, it's shot, the executives have seen it and they have not made an offer to pick it up. AMC produces that though, right? But they ordered a pilot, and on the strength of that, they can oh. continue to make more or not. No, I, I and and <laughs> for AMC not to pick up their own show, well, so that would be insane. So that would shock me. The article I I read, which is kind of an inside Hollywood deal, uh, mentioned that there's two possible reasons. One, it could be that it's bad. Sure. 
and it needs sure. to be sent back and completely retooled. Would not shock me. Second, it's it's good, but they are trying to use this as a leverage tactic on the you know talent and producers involved to beat them down on the episode costs. because they know it's going to air to huge amounts of people just like the walking dead right. and they don't want to have to pay their money out to those guys and we want to cut corners as much as possible yeah yeah i i don't know either the, way the i don't I... I feel like that's i never was that excited about the walking dead spinoff because it seems like it's got disaster written all over it like it's, it's a at, show spun off of a not great show at best you <laughs> like, are you are milking you are threatening to kill the goose that laid the golden egg yeah. by just you know flooding it with content and nobody watches at worst you're diluting your you know your your I don't know. I mean, it's it's all killing the golden goose. I, yeah, no, it, it could be your um, best case I'm, scenario that it's a better show than the show that you've got now. Yes, but I don't know even what that means. Like, I could easily imagine a better version of The Walking Dead, but then mm-hmm. what does that do to the original Walking Dead? Are they going to do like probably nothing because people like those characters right now? Yeah, it might be smart for them to spin off a smarter Walking Dead. So they've got the Walking Dead that appears. To oh, the broad, yeah, common yeah. denominator, it's going to be the zombie killing with a little bit enough of drama to make people feel good about watching it. And then we're going to do like the Breaking Bad version of The Walking Dead that we don't expect to get more than three million. And we're going to we need something to replace like the Mad Men and Breaking Bad slot. That's the thing. They've got the biggest show in history on their hands. I don't know that they need any of that, but they're greedy. Yeah, but I don't know what a three. Walter White didn't need to stack show. up a six foot by six foot cube of money in a storage shed either. That's but. the thing. I don't know what a three million person show gains them. Well, I mean, yeah, they The Walking Dead is one show, and they split it up into two parts of the season, which is all well and good. But Breaking Bad's not walking through that door anymore. They look like they've got a nice Breaking Bad size hit with uh, yeah. Better Call Saul, which kudos to them. Mm-hmm. But you know. Halt and Catch Fire ain't it. Uh, the Patriot or whatever the hell. Turn, Turncoat's not Turn, it. Yeah. Um, you know, Hell on Wheels ain't it. Low Winter Sun wasn't it. It was yeah. so much not it that it got canceled. They they might they might be desperate for something. Mad Men, it's done after this year. It ain't coming back through that door. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could make a case for they just need more content at this point. Yes. And that a three million person show is good enough but hey, I, welcome I to Bald Move TV, yeah, the podcast that talks about all the television. Uh, in the most uninformed <laughs> way possible. <laughs> that's what we that's how we make our bones, man. I um, guess so. That's it, man. We're I'm cutting this off. See you next week it's for bullshit. 104 Hero. We're keeping the O, the Chihaiho de, the, we the are. Dario. I wonder if that'll go all season. Looks like I it. Could probably Episode five's jello. <laughs> right. And in fact, I'm gonna call it if six is not. You're a pussy, Villigan. <laughs> You're a pussy for starting a conceit that you couldn't finish. All right. Good good calling him out. That's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See you next time. Bye-bye.